It's finally 2021, and to celebrate, we're offering a New Year's special. Annual memberships are now available at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. By joining us as an annual member, you will save 16%, which is like getting two months for free. We're also offering Tier 2 access to Tier 1 annual members. Help support this podcast, keep it ad-free, and help us fund 2021 updates, improvements, and new projects by becoming an annual member at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, in his creaky chair by Nicholas Ian Allen. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Guys, we got the college football game coming back. It's the best news that we've had, I believe, in 2021. I mean, you know, vaccine or whatever. But and uh, I almost said it. I almost said it incorrectly. College football game coming back, Nick. And and this is kind of, um, you know, what inspired you to create CFB Winning Edge, right? Yeah, in a way. I mean, it, it certainly has an impact on the way they do things. I mean, I played the, the old NCAA uh, football game when it came out for the first time in 1996, I think, on the Sega Genesis. Or there was a Bill Walsh before that, which was kind of a, the original one. But uh, I've been playing it since the very beginning. Had, you know, first PlayStation, I think, was 98. And uh, have, have, you know, played it a long time. Grew up playing the game. And, and it certainly did influence CFB Winning Edge because I thought about, you know, I would like to do individual player ratings uh, for every player and kind of use the scale that was used in that video game. And then, of course, Madden, FIFA game I still play uh, from time to time. Uh, set up very similar. It was just kind of a, a, a nice system in place. I was familiar with it. A lot of people were familiar with it. And kind of set about, you know, creating a formula that would uh, let me use other information that's out there, statistics, recruiting ratings, all that sort of stuff, and kind of translate it into that uh, basically, uh, you know, 60s to uh, R max 100 rating 99 in the, in the games, but, uh, thought it was a good template basically to use kind of to, to get things started. So, uh, it absolutely is tied to what we do and Hey, EA sports, if you're out there, uh, we want somebody to create, you know, new player ratings. I know there's not necessarily, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of details to be worked out. And, uh, as of right now, none of the, uh, real players or either even the fake players that resemble the real real players aren't part of the plan. But uh, yeah, eventually, you know, we do have a, a system in place and have ratings for uh, all 130 teams and 100 <laughs> and, or, uh, you know, 10,000, whatever it is, players. So certainly something to get excited about. I, I was excited. Uh, I missed the, the tweet about 10 minutes after it was originally uh, tweeted out by EA Sports. Xavier sent uh, a text to us with with the news that was the first I saw of it and uh, pretty pretty exciting certainly something to look forward to yeah I thought you know I woke up late today I got to sleep in a little bit today and uh, I I thought I was going to be the first one to tell everyone and I look and Xavier's already texted me about it 
Uh, it's in the group me rooms on ITL. Uh, one of my best friends, my old roommate, uh, we used to play the NCAA game. He's a huge Michigan fan. Obviously, I'm a huge Texas fan. And we would, you know, play out the seasons together and go through a recruiting class and all that good stuff. So um, he had texted me about it. Like, everyone is really excited about this game, Xavier. And, and what we know is, uh, sure, the rosters may not be correct to start, but life finds a way. Oh, As uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm mo uh, beautifully said in uh, the movie in the book Jurassic Park. So uh, I'm sure we'll get there at some point, right? Yeah, I guess since we're advertising ourselves, uh, EA, if you need a commentator, I can do that <laughs> for you as well. I think I've got a couple of good phrases in my back pocket to use just in case. Uh, but no, I'm so excited to be to have the game back. It's been almost eight years since NCAA 14 dropped. And I think I can speak for everybody in my generation that this is probably for if you love sports, this is our favorite game. We are we, we are all thinking that we would never get this game back after what happened in uh, 2013 and 2014 with the lawsuit that saw this game go under. So to have it back and, you know, as Nick said and as Scott has said already, it's college football. No NCAA moniker being put next to this game, but we're just happy to have a college football game back uh, now. Hey, and hopefully this starts a trend. College basketball. As they would say, the ball is in your court now. Make a game. Yeah, yeah I mean, college basketball, I think, uh, because it didn't make the money that in, that the reg the first college football game made, uh, and it was kind of, you know, Ed O'Banion was the spearheaded mm -hmm. uh, the, the lawsuit against uh, EA for all of the likeness and all that stuff. I, I think for that reason, it's probably doubtful we'll see a college basketball game anytime soon. But, you know, once you get everything in the right and on the hook for the college football, then you can go to the college basketball and every other sport. And all. I, I think there was, I think he did a college, college baseball. baseball. Yeah. Yes. A couple of of it. Mm. Right. Right. I, re I just remember the aluminum bats, the ping. Mm -hmm. So yep. I, I, re I remember all that good stuff. So uh, they, they were definitely in it and they were doing it. So uh, just the, the recruiting stuff was always my favorite with trying to get recruits and, uh, you know, uh, playing with taking a weird team to the national championship was always a lot of fun and all that. Georgia State at the time, which I didn't <clears> know I would be going right. to school there, but Georgia State at the time. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Idaho, a lot of people. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably I, I just, if it's only a, an FBS game, unfortunately, won't be. Yeah, any team in the Pac-12, uh, <laughs> also good. So, you know, <laughs> any team in the Big 12 that, that's not uh, Texas or Oklahoma, also solid. So, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of fun to play that game, especially my favorite part was playing my roommate when I drew just the crappiest team. Like, you know, I had to be the FCS team that didn't even have a name on his schedule. And he was Michigan. You know what I mean? Like with the Nard Robinson and all that stuff. So there was just no stopping him. But then on the flip side, I got Colt McCoy against Wyoming. You know what I mean? Oh, nice. So, uh, that that was fun. That was fun stuff. But uh, anyway, today on the show, outside of reminiscing about the college football game, we're going to be talking about uh, running backs and transfers and all that good stuff. Before uh, we get to the running backs, we're going to go with the news here first. And, you know, Nick, you kind of pointed out this article from Bill Connolly. It talks about uh, the college football offseason and uh, basically returning production numbers for all these teams, and it's kind of a benchmark of the offseason. So explain to us what this article is about and what we can find in it. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it 
this time last year as well. But this is kind of the, you know, a lot of people look forward to Bill's, uh, you know, first returning production uh, post each year. He's done a, a great job over the last several years, first at SB Nation and now at ESPN, of, uh, you know, really diving into uh, the rosters and kind of looking beyond the traditional, you know, college football preview magazine and a lot of offseason talk, uh, you know, the, the talk is returning starters. How many returning starters is each team uh, welcoming back each year? And and while that's, a, you know, a fine piece of information and, and can provide some value, uh, Bill does a great job diving a little bit deeper into what actual, you know, production in terms of uh, yardage specifically is, is what he uses on the offensive side. And then, of course, uh, some defensive production as well, tackling havoc stats like, uh, you know, sacks, force fumbles, tackles for loss, things like that. And he builds a, a you know, a percentage of overall returning production uh, as well as offensive and defensive uh, returning production for all 130 teams. And it's it's a great starting point, I think. And, and I know there are other uh, projection models out there that use this uh, number for, you know, their, their returning production and, and uh, their, you know, complete models that they'll use throughout the, the course of the year. And we do it a, a little bit different. We actually create our own. Takes a lot longer than, than Bill's, unfortunately, but uh, we also think that it ends up being a little closer to you know, fully correct because uh, we'll update it, you know, uh, as we make updates daily throughout the course of the offseason and, and uh, into the regular season when there's late transfer news and injuries and, and things like that. So uh, that is in, in the works before we kind of dive into the numbers that, that Bill put out there. I want to mention that uh, our 2021 FBS team profiles are uh, now officially under construction. Uh, those should be available uh, for our patrons to view, our Tier 2 patrons, uh, on or before April 1st. So that's when we're targeting having our own returning production numbers. And then, of course, we'll update those uh, as other you know pieces of the puzzle are updated throughout the course of the offseason. But uh, as for, for Bill's information specifically, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting to look at who's at the very top, kind of the top five teams in, in terms of returning the most, uh, maybe the bottom five teams and, and who's returning uh, the least, because that's really where you see some, you know, P, you know, you can carry that information over and, and there is uh, a correlated impact on the, the previous or excuse me, on, on the next year. Uh, he's done it, you know, every year he'll go through and say X percent, you know, whether it's 75 percent. Uh, the teams that are returning that across, you know, overall offense and defense have seen an increase of this amount of, uh, you know, wins or, or in his SP plus projection uh, system, rating system. Um, you know, th those are the teams that tend to improve the most. The teams at the very bottom are the teams uh, that, that tend to fall off. So uh, certainly, you know, useful, but also, uh, you know, this year, as he mentions in the in the piece, as I'll mention a ton and we'll talk about all offseason, it's going to be weird because, you know, some guys are coming back for a super senior year. The transfer portal is, is uh, as we're going to talk about later in the show, you know, bigger than, than ever before. Uh, players are, are changing teams more than ever before. So uh, it, it's it's maybe, you know, 
there's the potential there for it not to be as correlated uh, moving ahead because we're going to have more returning production across college football this year than any year basically on record. Uh, so how's that going to change and how's that going to change over the next few years? But anyway, you know, among the teams that are going to be the most experienced looking to next year, Louisiana, UCLA, Miami, Iowa State, Washington State uh, on the offensive side. Miami, Liberty, UCLA, Oregon State, and Iowa State are going to be among the most experienced teams coming back in terms of uh, returning production. Top five defenses, uh, Louisiana, Troy, Clemson. That's a bit of a scary thought. Coastal Carolina and Utah. And then at the very bottom in terms of, uh, you know, overall returning production, uh, according to Bill's numbers, BYU, Northwestern, Temple, South Carolina, and Notre Dame. And then some other names that just kind of jumped out to me among those there toward the bottom. Ohio State is 121st overall, 99th on offense, 119th on defense. Tennessee, and, and I don't know exactly if Bill caught all the, the recent transfers. Probably did because I think this came out on Monday. <laughs> How but, can anyone keep up with all of them? <laughs> right. But, you know, 117th overall, 103rd on offense, 107th on defense. Stanford is a team that, you know, s- still lost a ton despite. Uh, a, a very short season and, and, you know, not super, super successful. Alabama's always toward the bottom. They're kind of the, the one that tends to break the mold traditionally of even if they're, you know, one of the, the youngest teams out there, still a, a national championship contender. And then uh, Florida is in the mix in the 100s overall, 125th on offense, middle of the pack on defense. But one that, that stuck out to me as well uh, is uh, Duke. Duke lost a, a lot of transfers, uh, already doesn't recruit at a particularly high level. I, I, I'm not saying Duke is, is ready to move into the uh, Vanderbilt or, uh, you know, uh, who did we talk about last week? Yeah, it could be Kansas uh, mode as far as in the, the deep triple digits in our power rankings. But uh, they lost a ton and, and already, you know, didn't have a, a – ton to work with from a raw talent standpoint. So that one stuck out. Maybe a team to watch is could be among the, the uh, worst power five teams in the country, you know, looking ahead to 2021. Yeah. There's not many teams that can, you know, absorb that many losses and then just stay. Okay. Alabama does it on a seemingly year to year basis. I think Ohio state usually can maybe a couple of other top tier teams, Oklahoma, especially with the transfer portal now and things like that. Uh, those teams are going to stay always up near the top, but some of these, you know, middling teams, BYU, uh, lo- losing on BYU is not middling, but, but they're, they're usually really good, but they're not constantly in the top 10. You know what I mean? Nope. If you're a constant top 10 team, usually replacing, uh, some of those guys, is I'm not going to call it easy, but it's very doable for more teams. Well, what are your thoughts about uh, returning production and all that good stuff, Xavier? Yeah, I think it's a really good indicator for those middling teams uh, and and what we might see as some surprising teams in conferences and especially in conference play. I think, you know, when we look at the top 25 and returning production, when we look at teams like Indiana and Minnesota, those might be two teams that you look forward to in the Big Ten. Ole Miss, which is a team that a lot of people – currently are buying the stock up going into next year. Um, you even look at teams like Coastal Carolina bringing back all that talent from a team that just went, you know, they just had an amazing season as, as which they did. Um, and even some teams that, you know, you didn't get to see a lot from, you might want to go back and look at that. Oregon's one that you look and, you you know, you, you see 87% returning production on offense, 84% returning production on defense. That's a team that might be able to push for more and won the Pac-12 this year, yes, in a weird situation, 
but was still a good enough team to win the Pac-12. Their quarterback will be a year year a year uh, older, and that team with Kayvon Thibodeau and company might be one of those teams that you look at going into next year that could compete for a playoff spot, depending on if they run the table. So the, I think you're absolutely right with the more middle teams or teams that you didn't get enough uh, enough to see to make a decision on them going into next season, maybe something in a betting situation on a team that you might want to take out maybe, you know, a couple of dollars on early on and see what they could possibly do. I do also think it's a good thing for teams that had terrible years like Michigan, who, uh, yeah. you know, who, who finished, who's 49th on that list. The fact that they're only returning 70% on defense and 77% on offense might be a good thing. You know, so, you know, they might be able to be better in some situations. I think we said that two years ago in the first year that we were doing this. We talked about <laughs> Shea Patterson leaving might be a positive. So, you know, in some ways, it's a good thing that some of these guys are leaving as well. I mean, uh, and some of them are saying and getting extensions. So, uh, you know, that, that sometimes that's not good for a team either, but. Uh, who knows? And who am I to say? Uh, a couple other news and notes here uh, before we move into running backs. Vince Young and Teddy Bruschi have accepted off-field staff roles at Texas and Arizona, respectively. I mean, take that as what you will. And Vince Young got fired from this job in 2019 for not showing up. So we'll see if he actually shows up this time. I, I do believe this is Bruschi's first go around at U of A. So uh, we'll see what happens with those guys. Former five-star LSU tight end Eric Gilbert announced his intention to transfer to Florida uh, where he should step into that Kyle Pitts role, Nick. But um, you're saying that uh, the SEC rules are a little different with the transfer mm -hmm. portal if you transfer inside the SEC, correct? Uh, yeah, that's my, my understanding. So uh, I anticipate that the uh, one-time free transfer uh, rule will pass, it sounds like all signs are pointing in that direction and, and all of our 2021 FBS team profiles will kind of work under the assumption that everybody will be eligible, everybody who transferred in, in 2021. Uh, but I did see a note. Yeah. After, you know, when all the news and everybody was freaking out about uh, Eric Gilbert, who's basically the best tight end recruit that we've seen in, in the recruiting era. Uh, and it, you know, for my, my money, Kyle Pitts is the best tight end we've seen in you know, with the, you know, the last decade, at least at, at that position, uh, kind of a, a, a perfect fit. Uh, but yeah, there, there was some, you know, chatter after the news broke and everybody's getting excited that, Hey, wait a minute. The sec does have this rule in place that you can't transfer from one sec school to another as a non-graduate and be immediately eligible. There seems to be, uh, you know, a need for an additional waiver or, or something like that. It might be tougher to get than, uh, if you were to, to go out of conference. So we'll see how all that works out. I assume Gilbert will be eligible in 2021 and, you know, some capacity probably when, when we get that blanket uh, one-time waiver. But uh, something, I guess, to, to at least uh, be aware of because, as we know, the NCAA doesn't exactly – uh, move as, as quickly as everyone would like. So hopefully that'll get done in time. But, uh, you know, there is a small chance that Gilbert won't be eligible to play in 2021. Yeah, I mean, the, the move is huge for Florida, right, Xavier? I mean, especially with them, uh, you know, like Nick just mentioned, losing so much on offense, being able to, you know, get some uh, five-star transfers. And they have other guys, too, the Lorenzo Lingard, uh, Demarcus Bowman, Justin Shorter, and Brenton Cox are all five stars transferring onto the 2021 roster for mm -hmm. Florida. So uh, they're doing a great job with the portal so far. Yeah, and I think 
a lot of people aren't talking about this, but this is a huge move for Gilbert. I mean, let's be honest. At LSU, does LSU use their tight ends to the same capacity as Florida has done over the last couple of, over the last decade? No. So I think this is a huge move for him as well. He's an amazing talent. I think he's going to go to Florida and you know hopefully do great things. Not enough to beat Georgia, but a lot of great things. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, this is a great move for him too. You know, I, I think at LSU he might have gone under the radar. Obviously, the five star coming out of high school, you know, it was going to carry its own weight. But that can fall by your junior and senior year if you have not put up production to match that, you know, that 247 ranking. So I think it's a good move for him. Maybe it's the move he should have made out of high school. It's definitely the move he should have made out of the transporter. A lot of people were asking him to go to Georgia. I said, no. Decide whether we don't use our tight ends either. So, you know, might as well go down there to Florida, <laughs> catch 60 balls, and go first round like Kyle Pitts is going. So I like the move for him as well. Yeah, and I think a, a big question here, Nick, is how is the college football game going to handle making a transfer portal? I think that's <laughs> a, a huge thing we're going to have to dig into at some point. But no, uh, in all seriousness, it's huge for them. And, and Florida, you know, li like you said, Nick, uh, losing a lot of guys, so uh, getting these five-star transfers will make the transition easier, that's for sure. A um, couple other news and notes here. Utah lost an important pass catcher. Brian Thompson entered the trend. Uh, transfer portal on Tuesday. Uh, and since we talked about quarterbacks last week, FSU, former FSU starting quarterback, James Blackman has uh, committed to Arkansas state and North Carolina transfer. Jace Reuter uh, committed to North Texas. And then the uh, traditional February signing day will be this Wednesday, but it is, is extended through August. So your thoughts on uh, any of uh, those bits. Nick? I was, I was a little bit surprised that James Blackman uh, chose Arkansas State. I mean, Lane Hatcher had been splitting reps with Logan Bonner there uh, the last, really last year and took over for an injured Bonner in, in 2019. And it looked like, as we talked about in our, our uh, review series of the, the bottom 10 teams last week, Utah State picking up Bonner when he transferred with uh, uh, Blake Anderson moved from Arkansas State to, to Utah State that that would open the door for Lane Hatcher to, to finally have that job full time. And, and uh, I saw that as a good thing. And, and James Blackman coming in, competition is always good. And, and Blackman is experienced. He's a P5 transfer, uh, you know, has had a, a up and down career, mostly down in, in uh, the last uh, couple of seasons, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it, it is an opportunity to, to move there, compete for a starting job and, and you know, new coaching staff in place. Maybe Lane Hatcher is not the perfect fit for what Butch Jones and, and his uh, offensive coaching staff want. They want to bring in a guy that uh, you know is a little more mobile, uh, can can do some different things, add a different uh, element to the offense. So, be interesting to see how that plays out. Jace Reuter to North Texas. He's the the second P five quarterback transfer to North Texas. They had a, a, a quarterback from Kentucky uh, in twenty twenty who sat out last year, and and uh, then they of course still have. Ostinani, who is, uh, you know, was a part-time starter last year with Jason Bean, who's entered the transfer portal. So North Texas, we haven't talked a ton about them. They'll be coming up in that review series uh, in just a couple of weeks, but they've seen a, a crazy amount of uh, players enter the transfer portal. And, and we will talk about running back a little bit, maybe today, Trey Siggers, who was the returning starter this past year, split carries uh, in uh, 2020 and uh, is off to SMU. So, you know, opportunity for somebody to go, and, and North Texas traditionally has done some really 
good things on offense. Won't have Jalen Darden, the All-American receiver, to work with. But Jace Reuter is, you know, a guy who came in uh, relatively highly recruited to North Carolina. Didn't work out when Sam Howell showed up on campus, but uh, an opportunity maybe for him to, to uh, you know, like I said with Blackman, compete for a starting job and, and then maybe uh, be a good fit for kind of a team in transition uh, as we look ahead to 2021 and beyond. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on these moves? Yeah, I was surprised by the James Blackman move. Um, personally, and, uh, and this might have been a shot in the dark, I thought he would have ended up somewhere like Houston. When he was coming out of high school, one of the only other places that he visited out of Florida State were West Virginia and with Dana Hogerson. So I thought that it was an opportunity that he was going to end up at Houston. Uh, you know, they've had, they have not been able to find the quarterback since Derek King uh, to take that spot and hold it down. So I thought that was where he was going to go. But Nick hit it right on the head. New coaching staff gives a new opportunity. Similarly to what happened to him when Taggart came into Florida State. He got a new coaching staff and was kind of able to make his mark and, and take that starting job. Yes, DeAndre Francois does go out with an injury, which leads to his ability to even play, but he still had to make the most of it under that coaching staff. Uh, but yeah, I so not, signing days tomorrow, I'm going to watch it all day. I This is kind of what I do. I will make sure to update you guys with anything that's surprising. Um, Personally, it looks like Alabama will finish with this top class again. And this year's marching looks really big. It looks like Alabama was able to really get after it uh, and pick up a lot of five stars coming into this year's uh, rankings. They are going to finish, I think, 30 or 40 points ahead of the next closest team in recruiting rankings this year. That gap is way bigger than it was last year. Uh, Alabama looking like it's just going to continue to reload. We hit on the returning production points earlier doesn't matter when you're at Alabama. They just retool and reload like nobody's business. It's like a pit stop. The offseason is a pit stop for them, and then they go into spring practice, and then they're one of the top five teams in the country again. Um, a couple of teams I will be looking at going into tomorrow, though, are teams like Georgia Tech that are currently, a after having a really good 2020, need a really good uh, signing day tomorrow to really bolster themselves. They're currently sitting 11th in the ACC and 46th, I believe, nationally. We're looking for you know teams like that who look like they're turning. They were turning a corner last year. They picked up a guy, uh, Jeff Sims and company. Can they continue that? And will that trend help them going forward? A lot of teams with new coaches looking to get to that second year of recruiting, which is usually tougher. Most kids like to go to schools with new coaches to try to compete for a, a starting position, like James Blackman. In this case, in year two, people have an opportunity to see what that offense is like. We'll see what happens. Uh, all right. Well, moving right along on the list here, we are going to be talking about running backs. And uh, I, I didn't see them. Did you put out uh, any of those uh, Twitter polls or anything this time, Nick? I I did not, unfortunately. I apologize. Get around <laughs> the Twitter polls this week. But we, we, we'll use those questions that we posed last week kind of to structure uh, maybe the, the conversation because there's this is a long list. I mean, I went it through is. our – our FBS team profiles and, and kind of in the order uh, of teams as they came up, made note if a guy was leaving, uh, you know, leaving that school. And then if that school was, was uh, picking up, you know, had somebody coming in because there, there are some schools where, you know, one guy's out, two guys in, two guys out, nobody in yet. So it, it, there's, there's tons of movement at the running back position and some relatively, you know, big name, big name players. And, and uh, kind of, you know, my, my first thought was, is there anybody on this list who might have a, an impact similar to, uh, say, Trey Sermon, who transferred from Oklahoma to Ohio State? 
uh, early in the year. It, it didn't seem like maybe he was going to be making a, a huge impact because he was kind of getting up to speed, returning from uh, an injury. But, you know, Trey Sermon was incredible down the stretch and, and really helped propel Ohio State to the national championship game. Unfortunately, of course, got injured uh, in that game. But, you know, we, we see some guys like Eric Gray on the move from Tennessee, one of the, the – uh, big names, Zach Charbonnet from Michigan landed at UCLA, uh, Marquis Stepp from USC to Nebraska, Keontae Ingram from Texas to USC. So there are some, some relatively big name guys moving to, you know, a big name program still. Uh, we've got teams like Utah, who uh, unfortunately had a, a tragic, uh, you know, death of, of their star running back, Ty Jordan. Uh, but, you know, just prior to that had three, players enter the transfer portal. They've got two uh, power five transfers coming in. Uh, so, you know, we, we've got some some situations, obviously, with, with competition. We've got some P5 guys dropping down to group of five, a, a couple of group of five guys coming up to P5, uh, Ramon Davis from Temple being uh, one of those kind of a, a, a intriguing fit maybe and and then uh Jalen Warren from Utah State to Oklahoma State uh will they'll be uh you know replacing one of the one of the best in the country in, in uh uh Chuba Hubbard so kind of you know it, it's it's a bit of a mess <laughs> looking at this long <laughs> list and I did uh release this list to our patrons uh earlier today we had a a, a longtime loyal uh, a patron who who uh, sent me a message and said, "Hey, it would be great to you know, uh, it, this is the time of year where where we get a lot of suggestions on you know FES team profiles and, and kind of the stuff as we're getting ready to uh, set the stage for 2021, and was hoping for maybe a, a list of uh, guys, you know, whether it's weekly or, or what have you, of of all these moves. And right. so since we're having these conversations week to week." It's a great opportunity, you know. Hey, I can go ahead and, and share this list, so it's just kind of a quick. Uh, anybody can just sort of glance through, and, and we'll be doing a, a bigger list in our team profiles next year. But uh, anyway, a little bit of a mess. But uh, yeah, for, first of all, were there any guys that that changed maybe from from one big school to another that could have that impact on maybe a national championship contender uh, in twenty twenty? I mean, for me, it's Eric Gray going to Oklahoma. Yeah, gotta be. That's such a huge move for both Eric Gray and Oklahoma. He is a great running back. Uh, he's been at Tennessee, where things have, you know, kind of run suboptimally. But uh, I think he's going to be great. In, uh, and I just the microphone right now, Nick. So, uh, your thoughts on? Eric Gray going to Tennessee. I think that's probably uh, a number one on this list. Yeah, I think for me personally, I got a couple of guys and I marked them out uh, as Nick was talking. I really like Ty Chandler going to North Carolina. This is an opportunity for this guy to take the roles of what Carter and Williams are leaving behind. They're losing a bunch of production in that backfield. So he's going to have an opportunity to start from day one barring any NCAA kind of waiver necessary, but he'll have the opportunity to come right in. This is a guy who came out of college as a four-star. He's going to have a chance right away to play at North Carolina. I like Zach Charbonnet. 
going to UCLA. And I would love to see how UCLA uses him in their backfield. This is a team that likes to run out of the shotgun, not uh, as much as the traditional style that Michigan tends to have had him in the last couple of years. I want to see what he's able to do under that more expansive offense. I'd like to see what he's able to do out of the backfield. We know that UCLA loves to use their running backs in all situations. Uh, Marquis Stepp going to Nebraska. We talked about this two weeks ago. Nebraska has the talent. Scott Frost, can we do something with it? We, we, we've got to do something with it. And this is another transfer of a top quality kid out of high school, giving himself a chance by going to a school that's not deep in that place. And last but not least, John Lovett going from Baylor to Penn State. Penn State struggled to run the football last year. I mean, when Sean Clifford is your second leading rusher, that tells you, and, and with only 238 yards, that tells you how much you struggled to run the football. They're looking for a feature back to do it. And maybe this is the guy that gets it done. Uh, Nick, y- your thoughts on, uh, you know, a-, a big impact running back transferring here. Yeah, I-, I think you guys are right. Eric Gray is is the first name that jumps out to me. And Oklahoma, uh, you know, gets Kennedy Brooks back, uh, mm-hmm. opted out in, in 2020. Uh, I thought had a chance to maybe, you know, sneak his way into the Heisman Trophy conversation and everything worked out uh, last year. But then, of course, uh, decided not to, you know, decided to opt out, decided not to go into the NFL draft. And, and so he's coming back and then Gray coming in. Now, all of a sudden, that's a very, very deep, uh, you know, running back room. So I, I think that Gray, you know, is one of my favorite running backs in, in college football coming back. It just to watch has, has been uh, incredibly fun to watch it at Tennessee. Uh, but, you know, him coming in and, and uh, those guys stepping in alongside with Seth McGowan, who was pretty impressive at times as a true freshman last year. Marcus Major has had, uh, you know, some some uh, spurts where where you think that he's going to be an impact player in the future. And, and then to, uh, you know, Ramadre Stevenson, him leaving early, uh, for the NFL draft, I, I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, miss a beat, and, and probably will have a, a deeper and stronger running back group uh, all together, and, and really makes me, you know, feel confident about thinking that Oklahoma really can contend for a playoff spot and, and maybe be able to get over the hump uh, and win a playoff game and actually compete for that national championship. And then, you know, Xavier, I absolutely agree. Ty Chandler, who, who was a highly productive running back and just kind of lost a little bit of ground uh, because Eric Gray is so good. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that North Carolina uh, running back duo that, that they had this year was special, just absolutely special. Um, you know, uh, Javante Williams and, and Michael Carter are both going to get, you know, uh, you, you guys tell me, probably going to be among the top uh, four or five running backs, both of them drafted uh, here in a few months. And, and then I was uh, DMing with our buddy uh, John Lobb, who was who just absolutely in love with the North Carolina offensive line when he was doing some draft prep. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that Chai Chandler, uh, who, you know, ha- has a, a little – uh, lighter workload in, in recent years once Gray came onto the scene, but has done enough to really make you think that he's going to be able to come in and, and be a highly productive player at North Carolina. And North Carolina is losing a ton of offensive skill production. Sam Howell's coming back. The whole offensive line is coming back. But, you know, top two running backs, top two receivers, uh, you know, need need some playmakers. And Tyth Chandler coming in is, is going to uh, really give that unit a lift, I think. And, and, uh, 
you know, one other that kind of uh, jumps out and, and not not necessarily in the national championship uh, conversation, but maybe this you know kind of transitions us into uh, somebody who just might be looking for a little bit better fit. Jafar Armstrong has always mm-hmm. kind of intrigued me. Uh, Notre Dame uh, started out, I believe, as a wide receiver, then moved to running back, has played both positions, just couldn't really get uh, involved really with the the Fighting Irish for a long stretch. But he's going to Illinois, who's also bringing in Chase Hayden, uh, who had you know spent last year at East Carolina. Prior to that, was at Arkansas, recruited by new Illinois head coach Brett Bielema. So they're they're one bringing in some experience there, some guys to come in and compete. Uh, but two, Jafar Armstrong, I'm, I'm, you know, really, uh, I, I really want to see how are they going to use him. I, I believe when this news was announced, a lot of people were referring to Armstrong as a receiver. So we have him listed as, as both a running back and receiver. Uh, but I think lean more toward him being in the, the running back uh, room to start. But, you know, how, how is he going to be used? And, and another guy with a maybe a, a somewhat similar skill set that is a little off the radar, former five-star guy, uh, uh, excuse me, Ricky Slade, mm-hmm. left Penn State. Yeah. They really could have used him uh, in, in 2020, sat out because, uh, one, the, the you know transfer waiver situation, but two, Old Dominion, of course, didn't play. Teamed up with his old offensive coordinator, Ricky Ronnie, there at Old Dominion. So he's going to be – you know, front and center, uh, I would expect getting getting the football as much as possible there when Old Dominion kicks off. But he's a guy that's got that similar diverse skill set. He, he is, you know, has only been cataloged or, or, you know, considered a running back, but uh, does have, I believe, some receiver skills, can use him in a variety of ways. So those, those two guys, and, and you guys know I'm a sucker for, uh, running backs with receiver skills and, and you know, Wondell Robinson type, who we'll talk about next week. Uh, but uh, Jafar Armstrong and, and Ricky Slade really kind of uh, jump out to me among that second group of, hey, these are some interesting skill sets. How are they going to deploy uh, these playmakers in, in a, you know, a new school and a new role, all that good stuff. Uh, the, the next question on the list is what uh, transfer from a P5 uh, team is best prepared to make a major impact at the G5 level. So Xavier, do you have a guy on this list that fits that description that you like? Oh yeah. Isaiah Bowser out of Northwestern. That's gotta be yeah. the first guy on my list. Uh, this is a guy who barring injury after his freshman year, I mean, really took the big 10 by storm, 197 carries, 866 yards and seven TDs has not been able to get back to that production since his injury in his freshman year, but really, I think is going to hit, the ground running. Uh, I can't wait to see him uh, play at Miami of Ohio and just get touches again. I think that's really something that he, that's the kind of running back he is. He's kind of a train. Once he gets on the tracks and gets going, it's it's very hard to stop him. Uh, But if you can stop him before he gets on the tracks, like the last couple of years, he hasn't been able to really get his footing at Northwestern. His spot was kind of taken. He needs to get back to that. I think, you know, he's going to be somebody that we can watch on Maction and know the name. And I think he's going to have a really good year. The only other person I will say, and I was looking up, uh, and I believe this is Iverson Clement out of Florida. This is a kid who came in as a four-star and really never got the opportunity at Florida that he probably thought he would. Now, and, and what I love so much about his transfer is he's kind of going home. You know, Iverson Clement's from New Jersey. He's heading to Temple. He's, he's you know, he's coming from, you know, what he's not accustomed to, Florida weather, going back into a more home-like environment in the cold up there uh, in Philly. And I really think that this will be good for him. 
And, and I think this is an opportunity for him to really, you know, make a lot of make some splash. And I think, you know, when you're a four star and you kind of go to a big school, you get lost. And, and we've seen this happen several times where a kid is lost for two or three years at a major university like a Florida, like an Alabama. They transfer, they rush for a thousand yards and everybody's like, why didn't they play? Well, that's just kind of what happens when you go to these big schools. And so I love him transferring back to Temple or transferring to Temple. Uh, what about you, Nick? How about a, a guy going from the P5 to the G5? Who's your favorite? I, I'm, I'm with Xavier, by the way. Bowser going to Miami, Ohio. I love that move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you brought up both of those cases because uh, in addition to, to Ricky Slade, yeah, I think Isaiah Bowser, who who really looked like he, he was set up for a great career at Northwestern, but the injuries uh, just sort of, you know, got in the way and, and then they had some guys step up uh, you know, this year, another guy, not, not part of this question, but, uh, Drake Anderson, who was also at Northwestern also has some starting experience moved to Arizona. That's kind of an intriguing one to me, but, uh, back to the, the, the original question, I'm glad you brought up Clement and also Rayvon Bonner uh, transferred mm -hmm. from Illinois to Temple. Temple's a little bit on my mind has been for a couple of weeks, <laughs> but we're going to be talking uh, about them in our upcoming show because they finished 120th in our, our final uh, team strength power rankings. But uh, they are, they were just completely decimated at the end of last season because of COVID. They've had uh, a ton of guys enter the transfer portal. So there's a lot of moving parts there at Temple. My original thought is that they will be among the worst teams in college football next year, just, just based on the names and the experience that are, you know, are walking out the door. Quarterback Anthony Russo being one of those. They, they lost, you know, a receiver to uh, the NFL draft. They lost a, a several uh, starters on defense to uh, teams like Rutgers and Boston College. And, and uh, so, it, you know, in and, and some instances, they're getting a little bit of a roster reboot, but then there are some intriguing names coming in, including a couple of uh, P5 running backs. Iverson Clement, of course, being being uh, one of those. As you mentioned, Bonner, it sounds like, uh, will be in the mix there maybe as well for carries, and, and there's a little bit of depth there. So uh, what looked like, you know, they lost Ramon Davis, who was one of the best true freshman running backs in the country in 2019. He's off to Vanderbilt, and they were, you know, at the end of the season were, were – uh, just had had almost nothing at the running back position. Now they've got you know two pretty solid building blocks. So it's kind of interesting to see how Temple is uh, being forced to rebuild through the transfer portal because they've lost so much in the transfer portal. That's absolutely one uh, that's you know top of top of my mind. And, and then you know another that that kind of sticks out maybe uh, Tazan Henry from Texas Tech going to Houston. Houston is absolutely. Uh, been in the mix for uh, transfers since Dana Holgerson uh, took over there. And, you know, they they have some moving parts. They had some transfers in the past. Cal Porter's off to the NFL draft. And, and so it sounds like Mulba Carr will be back for his sixth year. But, you know, Henry's a guy that uh, showed a little bit of promise there at Texas Tech. Will he be able to take the next step uh, at Houston? And then uh, finally, Anthony Williams Jr. from Michigan State. Michigan State's had a couple of guys. Uh, they got Kenneth Walker III from Wake Forest, kind of a, a promising transfer coming in. But Anthony Williams kind of squeezed out, moves to Akron. And we talked about Akron last week. Uh, Tion Dollard was was one of the you know uh, surprise newcomers, impact newcomers uh, there. And, and, you know, Akron 
being one of those worst teams in college football in 2020 and 2019 before that. But, you know, bringing in some talent from the JUCO ranks and then uh, from the transfer here with Williams, will they be able to, you know, carry some momentum that they had running the football in 2020 and, and be able to, to parlay that into a few more wins in 2021? Uh, all right. So the next question is my favorite as a CFF nerd is uh, which of these transfer running backs do you feel like is going to have the best uh, statistical seasons, Javier? Yeah, outside of Eric Gray, who I think we all think is going to come and hit the ground running. I really like TJ Pledger going to Utah. I think this is a guy who showed flashes last year at Oklahoma. I think this is a guy who without, you know, who, who with the bulk of the carries would, would really do it. I mean, 451 yards and 95 carries. If you're telling me with 200 yards, this isn't guy or 200 carries, excuse me, this isn't a guy that could possibly hit a thousand plus yards next year. I think you're, you're not really watching his style of play. And Utah is a team that likes to run the football. Hey, they're not that far removed from Zach Moss being in the backfield and then running the ball 30 times, 35 times a game. Like we saw from a team like Iowa state did last year. And I think that if TJ Plager comes in and takes that running back room, like I think he will. I think this is a guy that's going to get a bulk of the carries at Utah. The Pac-12 is a conference that does not care about stopping the run for like half of the teams in that conference. And I think that bodes well for TJ Pledger. Also with them having so much uh, quarterback turnover, I think you'll see them rely on the run game a little bit. And I really like TJ Pledger going from Oklahoma to Utah. Uh, Nick, your thoughts on statistical season. I'm sure this is something you thought about quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know when when we're thinking of you know CFF and DFS and, and things like that, uh, system of course matters. Uh, what what number of touches a player gets matters. That's why even though Eric Gray might be my favorite player on this list, because as we mentioned, the depth there at, at running back statistically, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily set up for the best season. Maybe he will you know emerge as the true number one guy, and Oklahoma makes that push. Uh, to a conference championship, national championship contender, that sort of thing. But I think over the course of a season, it's not necessarily likely that that he emerges as that you know statistical just phenomenon. I, I think Ricky Slade could. We don't know what Ricky Ronnie's offense is going to look like specifically at Old Dominion. We don't know what uh, you know he as a, a first time head coach will uh, necessarily look like. I don't have really high expectations for them, but when you have such a, a you know a, a raw talent uh, there in, in Ricky Slade, and and you you have to think, even though he's not the biggest guy, that they will feed him. So he's the the first guy on my list. Another one I think is is worth a mention is T.J. Green, who transferred from Utah to Liberty. Liberty is on that list that we mentioned earlier. Bill Connolly's you know top five uh, in offensive returning production. They had such an incredible year this past year. Malik Willis will be back. He's going to, of course, take some of that rushing production and, and some of those touchdowns. And then Joshua Mack, who was a senior last year, it sounded, it felt like he fell a little bit uh, into the doghouse kind of toward the, the end of the year. But, you know, will he be coming back for that super senior year? I'm not 100% sure. Cedra Lewis showed a lot of explosiveness over seven yards per carry. Seems like he's up for maybe a, a bigger role. But, you know, somebody who can come in and, and be an every down back like TJ Green, I think there's an opportunity for a lot of production there. And and then, uh, you know, one that, that – is it's difficult when you're talking about an option team to get that just overall level of, of statistical production week in and week out. But I love Amari, uh, Amari Jones. 
mm. from Tulane. I, I don't know what happened uh, with him at Tulane, but he he fell out of the rotation. I thought he was the the best running back that they had. Uh, you know, in in 2020, especially once injuries hit, and he just fell out of the, the rotation and, and Cameron Carroll, Stefan Hutterson uh, ended up being, you know, the go-to guys there. And Hutterson is still, you know, he's on this list. He's, he's in the transfer portal now, but Amari Jones before that entered the transfer portal landed at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern had uh, a really explosive uh, running back, Wesley Kennedy, the third who ran into some legal troubles. Uh, and it sounds like won't be back in 2021. Amari Jones is a perfect fit for that role. And so he's the kind of, you know, wing back, slot back type guy who can take a pitch and, and take it a long way, can help out in the passing game. They don't throw a ton, of course, but uh, I'm intrigued by his role. What will he do? And a guy with a similar skill set, Johnny Ford, going from USF to FAU, hasn't been able to, to you know, stay out of trouble. But FAU is a team that injuries hit the running back position hard last year. The offense really needs to take a step forward. So I'm intrigued to see, you know, how are they going to use him? He's played receiver before. He's played running back before. He's got the talent to, to be a guy that is a go-to playmaker. Uh, it's just, you know, how is, how is the rotation going to work itself out? How is the depth chart going to work itself out? How many seniors are going to come back for that extra year? Uh, but I, I think that TJ Green and, and Ricky Slade are, are guys in addition to, to Amari Jones that I think have a chance, have the potential. It's just whether or not it'll actually play out, but, uh, I think could have big statistical seasons. Uh, what about, um, the, the best current available running back in the portal? Xavier, who do you, who do you think that is? Yeah, I really like Tyreek Murphy at a at a Purdue. Uh, another one for me. I think this is the big name. I think uh, Cyrus Habibi Likio out of Oregon. I think this is a guy who did just did not get enough touches at Oregon. He showed his flashes and just sitting behind what was a lot of senior laden company. I think he missed out on an opportunity there at Oregon, and I think he has an opportunity to really make a splash wherever he goes. I honestly thought that. Him going to somewhere like UCLA might have been a really good option uh, because I think that he has the ability out of the backfield to really make a splash there at UCLA. Uh, but I think any – I don't know, Nick, you can tell me. I don't think the Pac-12 has any rules like the SEC does as far as transferring is concerned, right? Not to my knowledge. Okay, cool. So I think any I think anywhere that it is big on spreading out the spreading out the offense and allowing him to work out of the backfield, whether that's running or throwing uh, as far as – out of the, I'm sorry, or catching out of the backfield – is going to be huge for him. I think that's not only huge for him as far as his NFL prospects is concerned, but I think he is more than capable of doing that. Uh, yeah, Nick, same, same for you. Who is left in the transfer portal that uh, you see as the best running back? Uh, the, the first, I think Murphy at, at Purdue, he was a guy that was a four-star recruit and, and you thought was going to come in and, and become an immediate starter. But for whatever reason, Purdue's had you know, three guys uh, kind of uh, opt out, transfer, that sort of thing. So uh, it, it will be intriguing to me. Will he land at a place like we've seen, uh, you know, some of these uh, running backs transfer where there really should be opportunities uh, for, for a lot of playing time. So, uh, you know, Amari Samuels, former Michigan 
running back transferred back home to New Mexico State. Karon Adams from Rutgers to UMass. There are some of those teams that that are uh, still, you know, in the in the Northeast or maybe in the MAC or, or uh, you know, where there are opportunities for a a pretty high profile guy as a, as a recruit can go in and, and become sort of a go-to playmaker. So I, I wonder if he'll end up in a, a situation like that. I think on the surface is maybe the most talented running back that's out there. Uh, I agree that Habibi Likio, uh, kind of a, a you know touchdown maker there at, at, at Oregon, real short yardage guy, would like to see him get a little bit more of an extended opportunity, more touches uh, in, in, you know, the, the, other parts of the field, not just in the red zone. Uh, but Jaron Mangum at Colorado was a guy I was really excited about as a true freshman in 2019. Thought he had an opportunity to become among the most productive true freshmen in the country and, and had a great first game, but uh, has kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit at Colorado, especially with direct uh, Broussard kind of exploding uh, this year and, and after a couple of injury seasons. So Interested to see where he ends up. He was a, a you know high three star, low four star type guy. Uh, seemed like a, a real uh, coup for Colorado when he signed there. But you know they've just had uh, a couple of really productive running backs that that he wasn't able to to emerge as the go to guy. So will he end up at a uh, you know a, a Mountain West school perhaps, or, or you know uh, maybe a uh, become a, you know San Jose State had such a great year last year. Uh, does have some. some some production coming back, but uh, an opportunity for a talented guy to go and make an impact there. Ronnie Rivers at Florida State or uh, Fresno State uh, entering his final year uh, might be a good opportunity to, to be the next, you know, kind of guy in waiting at, at a school like Fresno State. So I, I'm, in, I'm interested to see where he ends up because I think uh, he does have power five talent, but uh, also, you know, could, could really make an impact at, at maybe a Mountain West school or something like that as well. And I don't think I, I'm not sure we just we went through so many running backs. I don't know if we even really talked too much about Keontae Ingram to USC, but I like that move. I, mm-hmm. I like that move for both of them. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's going to be another good one. Uh, what school currently needs a transfer running back, in your opinion, Xavier? Who out there is, is sitting without a stud running back or maybe just a good running back is a piece missing from their offense? Actually, you know what? I'll go home. I, I think that uh, I think Georgia State could use some depth at the running back position. I think this is a team that has relied on uh, uh, running back by committee over the last two or three years while it's been one of the best teams in the Sun Belt with running the football. I think that's been in due in large part to their running back by committee. You have Destin Coach coming back for his senior year, but Destin Coach is a guy who has not been able to stay healthy for all for, for at all in his time at Georgia State. If he was, he'd probably be a 1,500-yard back at this point. But I think Georgia State is definitely one of the places I, I look at first. And I, and I guess that's just because of maybe my homer-type idea. But that's the first place I thought of as soon as you said who you needs a running back. What what uh, school would you, would you say needs a running back, a, a transfer portal back, Nick? Well, I mean, Tennessee lost two really good ones, two of yep. the best uh, <laughs> on this list. And and so – Come on. We all know uh, if the transfer portal is working for Tennessee. It's out, not in. Come on. Well, see, that's that's interesting because the uh, my thought on uh, why Temple was kind of – was uh, top of mind is, is I saw all these guys going and, and leaving – but the transfer portal works both ways, and, and who's going to you know who's going to come in? And, and now that they've got uh, a new head coach, Josh Heupel, who has done some 
you know, good and creative things at the running back position. Really liked uh, Otis Sanderson's uh, role there mm-hmm. at UCF the last couple of years. He's again, you know, that skill set I just absolutely love. They, they even called him a utility uh, player, yeah, not not just a running back. So, uh, you know, Tennessee, we expect there's opportunity for playing time. There's opportunity to play in a fun offensive system. Might take your lumps in 2020, but eventually, uh, probably a, a pretty good situation. Auburn has some guys at the top that really need depth. I mean, Tank Bigsby I like a lot. Sean Shivers does some good things. But beyond that, there there is very, very little uh, coming in. And, and so uh, they need, you know, maybe one of these these younger guys who can develop into, a, you know, maybe a Jared Mangum. Uh, Auburn might be a, a good opportunity there. Missouri is losing Larry Roundtree to uh, the NFL draft. And then Tyler Beatty is really exciting, does a lot of uh, fun things and, and catches the ball really, really well out of the backfield. But you might like to, to see more of a, you know, traditional bigger back uh, there at Missouri for, you know, uh, uh, Eli Drinkwitz to, to work with. Uh, is Arizona done in the, the transfer portal with uh, Anderson? You know, uh, Oregon State lost Jamar Jefferson and uh, Calvin Tyler Jr. to mm-hmm. Utah State. Uh, so that one, you know, is a, a, a one to watch as well. UCLA, I think, hit a home run with Charbonnet. If we had done this this time last week, uh, we didn't know that he was going to be there. I think he'll split time a little bit with Britton Brown, who was a transfer from Duke last year. Uh, but, you know, that, that certainly helped fill a need there. And then, you know, Kansas. Kansas can use as many players as they can get. I, I am not sure why uh, they have not really dipped into the play, uh, transfer portal. Uh, losing Puka Williams is, was obviously huge. Losing uh, a couple of their best receivers, as we'll talk about next week, is is huge. So uh, they can use players, and and so there's a, an immediate need uh, there for a guy that can can uh, you know carry the football. And then finally, I think at the the you know P five level. There, there are a lot of a lot of teams that, that could use depth, mm-hmm. but maybe uh, the the other you know we need a number one running back that comes to mind. How about Maryland? I mean, Jake Funk is off to the NFL draft. Uh, Tayon Fleet Davis, I'm not sure if he will be back. We'll, we'll find out for sure uh, on March 1st when when we know officially what seniors are coming. They had a couple of you know true freshmen. Uh, get in in the mix last year, Penny Boone and Isaiah Jacobs. But uh, there's an opportunity, I think, there for a, a number one guy. And we saw that that Maryland offense could be fun with uh, uh, Talia Tangavailoa there at, at quarterback. And, and they've recruited really well, especially at the receiver position. So uh, put in, you know, a, a, a you know top line running back transfer and, and maybe that Maryland team can take a jump in the Big Ten. Yeah. Nick. You 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 made me think of one other team as soon as you said Kansas Vanderbilt. They, they're you know a, a year away from uh, a Tyler or Keyshawn Vaughn being gone, being the the bell cow for them, and they necessarily have a transfer. You said what? I'm sorry. As an, and a transfer. He transferred from Illinois. So, so yeah, it's, Vanderbilt's a good one, I and mean, we'll talk about Vanderbilt tomorrow. They're on that list, but uh, they did bring in Davis, who I, I think mm-hmm. is is going to help. He he committed to. Derek Mason, I assume he's still coming, even though Quarkley is is uh, coming. We'll see, but uh, and we'll talk about him a little bit more. I really like uh, Keon Henry Brooks. I, okay. I think he's one of the most promising uh, young running backs, maybe kind of 
under the radar guys, especially because he was, you know, at Vanderbilt had some injury issues. So I, I think they're a team similar to Kansas that, yeah, we'll take, we'll take players and we'll find a role for them. Uh, but at running back specifically, I might argue that they're a little bit better off than we might think just okay. looking on, on paper, but, but I absolutely agree. I mean, teams in that profile, can Duke, as we mentioned, was a, was a team that uh, I think is is in the mix to be among the worst in, in college football next year. Uh, but that type of profile, Syracuse, another one, are, are the guys that opted out. Thinking the same thing. <laughs> you know, those, those bottom rung P five teams. Yeah, let, let's let's get some players in, and, and we'll figure out positions and carries and, and whatnot. Uh, but I, I agree that, that, yeah, they could certainly use some help. Vanderbilt specifically, I think, might be a tiny bit better off than, than maybe at, at you know, first thought. Uh, all right. So moving on to running backs that have declared for the NFL draft. And this year is a little weird, like we mentioned before. You know, the guys had to declare by January 18th that they were going into the NFL draft. So the guys that do want to go to the next level, have made their uh, announcements, but if they don't hire an agent, they do have until March 1st to use their uh, extra year of eligibility that every player in college football got last year because of the COVID situation and all that stuff. So it's a little different than it has been. If some of these guys, you know, who haven't hired an agent start kind of dipping behind, there's no combine to show off uh, a lot of the stuff this year. It's going to be only, uh, pro days and virtual meetings and things like that. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of talent to replace as it stands right now. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris from Clemson and Alabama, both gone. Uh, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, both the backs in North Carolina gone. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, who didn't play this year, but is still a stud at Memphis. Jamar Jefferson, uh, Trey Sermon, Ramondre Stevenson, Chuba Hubbard, Jarrett Patterson, who had a great year. JV and Hawkins. There are so many good running backs on their way to the NFL, Nick. Uh, I guess who's going to be just the most impossible to replace? I'd assume it's Etienne or Najee, but those schools recruit so well. And, and actually, this this uh, spurred a, a thought that I should have had earlier when we are talking about a team in need of a, a running back. Uh, Coastal Carolina is among the, the most experienced offenses in the country coming in, right? Or, or most experienced yeah. teams all and had such a great year they're losing cj maribel one of one of the few pieces who's off to the nfl and they you know had some guys who, who did some good things in a, a backup role last year but uh there's there's certainly an opportunity i think for touches at, at coastal carolina a team that uh obviously has, has had some success and appears poised to compete again in in 2021 so uh maribel i i think is uh you know i i i think that he is certainly they're going to miss him but I don't think that he is by any stretch irreplaceable and, and certainly could be in the mix for uh you know one of those those earlier roles but among the biggest impact and, and Najee Harris was was my uh probably again one of my favorite players to watch he was just uh, incredible the way, you know, leaping over guys at 230 pounds, catching the ball out of the backfield, uh, breaking tackles, just just absolutely a joy to watch. I'm, I'm going to miss him. But you bring up a, a perfect point that, you know, Alabama's going to be fine at, at running back. So so I, I don't know that it's him. Etienne, 
you know, similar situation. Clemson is is maybe not as deep at that position, uh, and especially losing their five star recruit from last year, Demarcus Bowman, going to Florida. You know, I I could see the argument for him, but the name that keeps sort of, sort of jumping out at me, two of them really uh, jumping out at me from from this list, Jamar Jefferson at Oregon State was was really kind of a a player that he did uh, everything for them. Yeah, and and not you know not to say and, and uh, you know, not, not meaning any uh, offense here to Oregon State, was a more talented player than they are used to getting. It's going to be very difficult to replace him just from a, a talent standpoint. Somewhat similarly, and, and even though he didn't have a spectacular year this year, they had trouble running the football, and I don't think it was necessarily his fault, but a, a team that we expect to you know, continue to, to win based on a very, very successful 2020 season. Stevie Scott III at, at Indiana, one of the best running backs that Indiana's had in a long, long time, and, you know, a, a big, strong back. They recruited pretty well, and Samson James was a four-star guy who they expect to be back. They've got uh, some other depth there as well. But, you know, Stevie Scott is, is going to be – Difficult to replace, I, I think, and and similarly, a, a more talented guy just from a raw talent standpoint. But then, when you take into account the production he's had over a, a, a good three year career there, both of those guys are are uh, high on my list of, of going to be pretty difficult to replace. And and uh, two of my favorites to watch, but but absolutely, you know, guys that that at programs that are are trying to take the next step. Uh, going to be going to be kind of difficult, I think, to to you know just slot the next guy in. Xavier, same question for you. Just looking at this list of running backs uh, on making their way into the NFL, who is who is the most irreplaceable in your opinion? Yeah, it's got to be two guys for me. Uh, it's it's got to be Demetrius Felton out of out of, out of UCLA. This guy did everything, and that's what I really look for in this: is who did everything, who was a uh, one of the best pass catchers, one of the you know the best running back they had, and who also you know supplied some excitement and, and kick return slash punt return at points. You know, I, it's got to be him for me. And then second on that list has got to be Puka Williams. He was Kansas. I mean, let's just be just have it right. He, when you thought of Kansas football over the last two to three years, it's been Puka Williams Jr. And then kind of the buck stops there. So I think those two guys have definitely have to be the top two for me that are just because of the lack of recruiting that those two are able to do um, at the running back position or have not been able to do in a very long time. Those two guys absolutely have got to be the guys for me that uh, that that are hardest to replace. And, and alongside that, just an honorable, honorable mention has to be Javion Hawkins. I think him and Tutu Atwell. When you think about Louisville, those are the two guys that you've thought about for Louisville over the last two or three seasons as well. He's been the bell cow for them, and, and replacing him is going to be one mean feat uh, up there at Louisville. Uh, all right. Well, I think that is going to put a bow on the episode today. Now, tomorrow's episode, we're going to be looking at the next 10 teams on the list. There's some good ones in here, some exciting mm -hmm. ones for sure. Uh, you know, Hey, look, I feel like last week, we had more than enough excitement for those bottom feeders, right? Uh, I thought uh, there was uh, a lot of good conversation on those bottom 10 teams, and I, I feel like we solicited and offered a bunch of hope for those teams, and I, I think we uh, will do that for these teams as well. It's, uh, you know, we got Temple in here, Vandy's in here, Old Dominion who didn't play, 
Louisiana Tech. There's some good squads uh, in this next 10. So uh, it's going to be a great episode. Until then, remember, you guys can follow us on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and at Bogman Sports for me. And uh, have a great day, everybody. We will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.